your source for big Welcome back to Off Talk Empire, where we don't yet know how many Big Ten games are going to be played, but we are going to preview all of them as though they will be played. Yeah, why not? We'll scream into the ether here and pretend that we have any idea of, of anything here in the funnest year of my life, for sure. I'm Steve Braun, I go by Thumposaurus, and that's Andrew Koscheski, and we are Off Topical Empire. Uh, we've got a birthday hound dog in here, well, in the other room. But uh, yeah, our two dog contributors are very, very busy, so they're not able to join us. Um, well, the two dog contributors that are at this house. Yeah, so that's, that is the one thing I'll say about my dog, is you can count on them for a lot more restless activity, basically regardless of the circumstances. Especially Minnie, she very much likes to walk about on polished surfaces, you know, hardwoods and so forth, even though she has these ridiculous, like, eagle talon claws and she won't let us cut them. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And so she just eats shit on hardwoods all the time, which stresses her out and makes her afraid, but she still must be making contact with either me or my fiancé at all moments. And so, it, you know, she's, con she's in, in frequent conflict and... We, we're going to begin our previews this week with another Friday night special. I, do you recall noticing when the schedule came out that there were going to be more Friday night games after the first week? Because I don't recall that. Story. No, but I hate it. Yeah. I mean, I guess I hate it less than I usually do because, you know, Friday nights used to be where you... I might go and out stuff. and have fun with people, but now, now that's not allowed. That's not advisable if I want to... If I want my wedding to go forward and it's postponed date instead of being moved again, we need to get this shit under control, which means stay home. Don't go to Halloween parties. Stay in your home. Watch football. We're going to tell you about the football. You're going to stay home and you're going to watch it so that I can get freaking married on time. So, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that I'm sure that you want to deal with the with the circus of a bride's family absorbing the news of another postponement. Yeah, it'll be great. I can't wait. It was so much fun the first time. Uh, so, Minnesota and Maryland. The first thing, of course, that we have to talk about here is the fact that in their week one game against Michigan, a boat racing, if you will, no pun intended, just because it's a boat-themed program now, Minnesota was missing a number of important players. As of today, I can't figure out if those guys are going to be back or not. That's your starting right guard, your starting right tackle, a starting linebacker, your kicker, your punter, and your long snapper, which all contributed to a very harmful game flow for them against Michigan because their run game only worked when they went left. Their play, defensive play caller was gone, and so as a result, their run defense was even weaker than it was probably already going to be. And their special teams were a disaster because... When they chose to punt, it didn't go well, and it also made their fake punt a lot more predictable. Well, they entered this game against a team that lost all their running backs that were any good last year. You could probably extend that to say most of their players that were any good last year, because really, yeah. Maryland's two best players by a mile were their running backs, and yes, they're both gone. 
and we saw them get absolutely roughed up by Northwestern, who is clearly going to be better this year, but it's not like Maryland played Wisconsin or Ohio State. To lose by 40 to Northwestern coming off a three-win season is does not augur well. So, uh, although, to be fair, to lose to an Indiana quarterback at this point is nothing to be ashamed of. Sure, I suppose that's true. But as far as previewing this game goes, it feels like a little bit of an exercise in futility. I mean, do we know that Minnesota is only missing those guys? If so, I would feel pretty confident about saying that the Minnesota team we saw on the field last week probably beats Maryland by about 10 points. That would be about my assessment. 10 or 14 points, I, I would expect. I'd say more because I kind of think Maryland might be that bad. We'll see. And again, this is going to be because, another... I mean, because Minnesota's could, not going to have a situation where they're behind the sticks and they got to yeah, you they got to take gambles. You could be very right about that. I What I guess has to be said is I don't recall it going around that Maryland was missing anybody because of COVID. Now, we talked about in the preseason preview, they did have a couple of opt-outs, but those were things they knew about beforehand. And even though those were about you, that's a starter on each line and that hurts because Maryland is not good on the tr- in the trenches yeah. already. That's something that they should have been able to adjust for to some extent. I mean, suppose with the recruiting Loxley has had, it's not like there was no talent left behind. It's just been so badly utilized. Man, it really... Like, Look, if you're upside, if you're basically... If the upside and basically the reason you got this guy is for recruiting, then you better get more than one reception for one yard out of Rakeem Jarrett. I mean, at the very least, give the people something to watch. I'm not holding that against him. I'm saying, like, your whole game plan with bringing Mike Loxley in was we'll get talented ball players and we'll let them make plays. So get the ball to your talented ball players. And I, I understand perfectly well that in a lot of cases, freshmen might not know the whole playbook. They might not be on the same page with the quarterback. But I will tell you this. We, we mentioned, I mentioned in passing in the review episode that I went to Michigan State at Indiana in 2012. I didn't go into details of that game because it wasn't relevant, but I will now because it is, and I promise I'm making a point here. Just let me circle to it. Because the tailgating scene there was so awesome, because I was meeting up with a couple friends who were in graduate school there, we got to the stadium after the game started, and Michigan State was already down either 14 or 17 points, like midway through the first quarter by the time we got there. Remember, this was 2012, the one kind of bad year they had in that stretch. So it did not look good for your boys in green and white. But they managed to come back basically on the back of two guys, Le'Veon Bell and Aaron Burbridge, who was a freshman at the time, had been played a little bit, but really not all that much. Big time, you know, high four-star wide receiver out of Farmington here in the Detroit area. But he hadn't really been used all that much. And in interviews, I don't remember if it was after that game or if it was before it, but there was some kind of admission that, um, you know what, I'm fairly sure it was after it, because it otherwise this point wouldn't have made any sense for me to bring up. After that game, and I want to say it was a couple weeks later, this interview came out that basically revealed Aaron Burbridge didn't know the playbook, like, at all. (laughs) But because they were down so much, because all their other receivers couldn't catch a cold that year, they threw him out there anyway. And basically just had him run a variety of simple routes along the sideline. And he caught like 12 passes or something for over 100 yards and was a huge part of their comeback. It was just it was either him or Bell on basically every play. 
because sometimes, yeah, you real if you if you don't have anything else that's working, just find the biggest, fastest guy and tell him to go do something. Well, Work it out. Make it happen. When Mike Loxley was at Illinois, he brought in Aurelius Ben, and there uh, and in a different example, 2007 Illinois was a team with a lot of talent and experience, but he still got Aurelius Ben in the game. Very often, he was running end arounds. He was returning kicks yeah, and punts. Right. He would, and, and occasionally, he would go and catch a deep ball down the sideline, or he would make a big catch over the middle or something. He just got him in the game so that teams were going to have to account for him. And it, yeah, and if you think that it, it, it doesn't take much for 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 a team to have to account for a guy, yeah, just got to make one look. When you're a player like Aurelius Ben was, like Raheem Jarrett is supposed to be. You just monster one big play, and the teams are like, "Oh, oh no, this guy could be a problem." Yeah, that's look, so they had to pay a lot of attention to this true freshman every time he was on the field, and that extra attention helps because the margins are going to count in games where you're within maybe striking distance of your opponent. Your, your opponent's shorthanded here. Find ways to take advantage of that. They're missing. All, they're missing their play caller on defense. The, uh, the linebacker Braylon Oliver. You're telling me that you can't find a misdirection or, like you said, sweeps, reverses, something to get this incredible athlete involved. you got to make use of this guy. Give your fans a reason to watch. Even if it's a loss, show them that, you are, that you're not just bringing this talent here, but that you have some idea of what to do with it. The, the Kevin Wilson-Indiana model of sucking is like the gold standard by which programs that suck need to be measured because are you gonna yeah are you gonna be interesting are you gonna make it hard for your opponent that's don't even have to make it that hard just have to make it fun for your fans to watch (laughs) i mean i would like because illinois was also awful then and they had a in 2012 and they had a halfway decent defense which goes to show you how pitiful the offense was way rather suck like that than i mean honestly the offense didn't even make that many mistakes so it's not like they were chris ash fun bad they were just bleak yeah yeah, all right. That's enough said about that. I mean, unless there turns out to be another wave of COVID sit-outs for Minnesota, which, by the way, they've got to be bumping right up against that 5% with yeah. six players out. I mean, we, we yeah. eyeballed the math on this in the offseason. Um, you know, 5% of your roster, depending on how long your roster is exactly, that's not more than, like, 10 guys. So... That's, you're, there's not much margin for error here to make this game happen. Let's move on to a game that I'll be just fine if we canceled it. Let's go ahead and let's let's get some coughs. Let's uh, doctor some test results. Let's not let's not play this game because Michigan State, Michigan State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Michigan. The Wolverines can name their score. Uh, knowing Harbaugh, that's probably going to be something like fifty-two to nothing. Mel Tucker showed an inclination in the Rutgers game against playing it safe. I don't think he's going to kick many sad field goals. He's going to go for it on fourth down. There was hell. There was an instance in the Rutgers game when he went for it on fourth down, down eight points within makeable field goal range. I thought it was a terrible decision. Sure enough, Rutgers goes the other way and scores. That's basically game over. So all of, again, all of which is to say, I don't think you're going to see sad field goals from Michigan State. If if you want me to squint at this and find some way for MSU to keep it competitive. Minnesota did move the ball against this revamping Michigan defense. And MSU's offense does have some interesting playmakers. Now, as I said last week, and in the context of seven turnovers, this doesn't need to be said. 
if Michigan State's guys can't hang on to the ball, this is going to get ugly in a hurry. You could be talking about 35 nothing by the end of the first quarter. So if MSU makes a quantum leap forward in ball security, if they are a mere minus one in the turnover margin, then you could convince me this might not be a total disaster. But I also think what we're going to see in this game is that Michigan's offense is going to expose Michigan State's defense for the the playmaker bereft outfit that it is right now. That wasn't as much of a problem against Rutgers because Rutgers is still not a dynamic offense. They're a better offense than they were last year, but they're still not dynamic. And really, Michigan State gave up 38 points because their offense repeatedly put the defense in bad positions. Michigan's going to score more than 38 points in this game because their offense, I think, is going to run through MSU's defense pretty easily. I hope I'm wrong. I've been wrong before. But if it's within three scores, I would be surprised. I don't have much more to add to that. I mean, this yeah. this this rivalry was very fun when it was one. Um, the, the problem was when MSU, there was really only like, you could make the case that 2015 was the only year in which both teams were pretty good. Like before that, Michigan was still bleak. And MSU was excellent. And then MSU fell off a cliff pretty quick after that. Even with that outlier year of 2017 when they beat Michigan and got to 10 wins, it man, it turned out to be fool's gold. Yeah, but what made that rivalry fun was that every year it was going to be about how Michigan was totally going to, you know, Michigan's bad, but they're not lose to Michigan State bad, ignoring that Michigan State was good at that point. <laughs> right? Yeah. So the ex- so somehow even though Michigan State was always the better team, there were Michigan would always go in with these high expectations. That's what made that rivalry so fun as a neutral observer. Yeah, so it's interesting to hear that, but I will tell you in this case that I mean Michigan is ranked I think something like 15th right now, which feels about right. So after in, in year six of Harbaugh, they finally got the correct measure of the guy and his team. The fair market uh, value of Michigan Wolverines is 15. Yeah, so I think that's probably about right. And against the team that has no hope of being ranked short of winning about six games in a row here. Yeah, it's uh, the, the other thing I would say here is I think Quiddy Pay is going to make himself a lot of money against this offensive line. Although, as we said in the review, MSU's offensive line, the offensive linemen, the big guys, were actually okay in pass protection last year or last week. The problem was the tight ends and, and running backs were not. And uh, if you're dealing with a six or seven man pressure, those extra blockers matter and they matter a lot. And Rocky Lombardi's biggest shortcoming at this point does seem to be his pocket presence. So, oh boy, this. Uh, this one feels like it's going to be over hopefully pretty quick because Michigan does have an inclination to run the ball at least. So that clock will keep moving. Uh, let's get this over with. All right. Game which I think should be closer, although I'm sure you're pessimistic about it. Purdue at Illinois for the, yeah. bo- for the boomy gun. Yeah, this one ought to, I mean, unless there's an active God weather situation like there was last year, uh, which is entirely possible, but at this point I'm not seeing it. Um, and a persistent concern for Jeff Brom later in the season has been that his offenses do not endure Big Ten seasonal weather all that well. Yeah, well, so, they, they were less equipped than us to play in a monsoon last year. That's the only reason we 
we won that game. But that, again, as we as we said at the time, that but, happens here. Yeah, exactly. Like, but those are the those are the land conditions, man. You, you can't. You can't say that you didn't hold the beach because uh, you just your, just all your this, opponent your was, army just wasn't built to defend a beach. There was just nothing but sand here. We weren't we weren't expecting sand on the beach. Why would that have been? so? Um, look, I I still think there's a pretty straightforward game plan to beat Purdue, especially while they don't have Rondale Moore, which is double cover Bell on every snap, make someone else beat you. I get that in the past they have found secondary receivers and had big games with them, but this guy is a star until someone shuts him down or he goes to the NFL. You've got to deal with him first. If Rondale Moore plays, this is going to be a blowout of biblical proportions. And I've not seen anything in the way of updates on his status either. Still not even clear if he's sick or hurt or suspended or what. Or not sure if he's going to opt out. Who knows? That would be a strange decision, though, because he opted he opted back in fairly late and he hasn't played. So I don't yeah. know why. But he presumably, yeah, he, presumably plays. he presumably opts back in because I assume whoever he's getting advice from about his NFL future says, "Look, your highlight reel is great, but it's pretty short. You've played a total of like sixteen career games or whatever it is. You got to get out there and prove that one, you're able to stay healthy, and two, that you can do this over a more sustainable period." Um, that that at least that seems like a reasonable thing to me for him opting back in. That has not changed because he hasn't played at all. There's only been yeah. one game, and we have no idea why he, he didn't play last week. So um, defensively, Purdue can be gotten a lot more than Wisconsin. So we'll see if the Illinois offense can kind of get right here. I think there there are enough structural concerns that it might be kind of a long season from that perspective. But I have to figure that Illinois makes a little bit more of a concerted effort to establish the run, and I think you can expect more success here. Well, I mean, the, I, I did not expect it to be like this going into last year, but they don't have anybody to replace Dre Brown. Not Reggie Corbin, Dre Brown. Mike Epstein can replace Reggie Corbin. Dre Brown is a guy that was really physical between the tackles that could get yards when defenders closed on him. Epstein was a Epstein like Corbin is a guy that can evade a defender in a phone booth, but you you, you saw that Illinois was not really able to get anything happening uh, between the tackles. Um and of course Epstein's confidence was seemed to be shot by that early fumble. Yeah, but even with Lorenzo Neal back, even with uh Barnes back Carl Aftis, who's more of a pass rusher than a run stopper at this point, even with a pretty good defensive front, I don't think anyone's going to confuse Purdue's run defense for Wisconsin with Keanu Benton and Henningsen and those guys. Well, they did shut us down pretty good in 2018. Um, a different defensive coordinator, but also one who got fired for being bad. So, right. Th- so I guess really the question <laughs> is, what does Illinois do on offense? How do they regroup? How do they refocus? What's their game plan here? Are they going to do design runs for Brandon Peters or whichever quarterback? I assume it's going to be Peters. But are they going to do design runs? Are they going to lean on that more? Are they going to really try to get back to the 2018 form of the rushing game? Assuming that if they can play like that, then the passing game, which is more effective with the better weapons they have now, will work as a better complement. They did crack a couple of long runs with Peters against Wisconsin when he kept the ball, which 
you've been shouting for the whole time he's been there. If you, like, if you're going to run these read concepts with him, he's got to keep it sometimes. Otherwise, they're not effective at all. Um, and he, and, and lo and behold, a couple times when he did, he, I think one of those rushes was more, it was a 30-something yarder. I think he had a couple of 20 yarders. Yeah, so, so he, he ended up as the leading rusher for the Illini. But uh, again, if it's not him, then it's Williams. You know, you know he's going to be willing to rush to, to to run the ball. Can he do it well enough? The problem there is if Williams is in the game, that's probably a nine man box at least. Exactly. So, so you got to just hope that Brandon Peters can just put Wisconsin behind him because he had an awful game uh, in in most every sense of the word. He did prove that he can break off a run, but ultimately it did nothing to help the team uh, in that game materially. So you, you gotta, I gotta hope that his confidence recovers and it, it, you know, what is their state of mind, right? Like how broken are they by this Wisconsin thing? Can they put this behind them and just try to attack Purdue with more of an emphasis on the run? We'll see. And I th- really, I don't think they're that far off because if you, if Peters keeps it even five or six times a game, that changes the outlook of how they play your run game, I think. But we'll see how this looks. And as for Illinois' defense, the, uh, the pass rush was adequate, but it didn't mean anything against Wisconsin when the coverage was so bad that Mertz could find a target very quickly. Yeah. This is going to be a much bigger problem against much quicker guys like David Bell and maybe Rondale Moore. So I, I don't see, unless there's a big change and we see a lot more man coverage, which Lovey Smith has shown that he's willing to do sometimes, but unless we see that, I just don't see how we're going to even slow them down. This, there's going to be a lot of points scored in this one. I don't know if Illinois scores very many, but there will be a lot of points. Yeah. We'll move on now to the game that really prompted our opening comment of, you know, we don't know how many games there are going to be this week, which is Wisconsin at Nebraska. So as we sit here recording on Tuesday night, this game is still happening. But it has been confirmed that uh, Graham Mertz had his second positive test. He is out for this game. He is out, in fact, for 21 days, meaning, depending on the exact timing of that, I don't know if that means he'll be able to play when they get Michigan in two more weeks. I guess we'll kind of cross that bridge when we come to it. I'm not sure how that'll work, but he's out. Yeah, how long the, is Jack uh, Is he out for the season? I don't think so, but he's got... What he's, exactly is wrong with him? He's got some kind of foot injury. Yeah, what I have not seen in any of the references I've seen to it is any kind of timetable for his return, but it, he is not expected to play this week. And there was some discussion rumor earlier today that it's not clear if Chase Wolf might or might not test. But basically, we don't know what the results of COVID tests are for other guys in the Wisconsin quarterback room that Chase Wolf might be out too which would take them to quarterback number four from where they were just a week or so ago. Abandoned boom. Yeah, and our Wisconsin guys are a little bit, have a little bit of confidence in him, but really that confidence isn't exactly founded on any evidence because the guy hasn't played, your fourth quarterback isn't going to play very often. But the bigger issue is that this might snowball into the cancellation of the game. Yes, that's kind of the prevailing attitude here is this game is probably not going to make it. Um Again, we've discussed there's a there's a 5% threshold across your team for cancellation. That's probably not more than 10 guys. It can't be. No. So if you're if you're looking at more than a handful of positive tests, you are in jeopardy. And because those players have to sit for 3 weeks, 
even if you're then able to play the following weeks, you're going to be without Mertz for a while here. It's just... Well, I just hope that they've been keeping... Like, I don't know what Cone's status is, if he could have gone against a more important opponent than Illinois, but I'm hoping that they're just, you know, keeping him as a designated survivor because you basically have to keep a designated survivor quarterback at this you point. You should be. You absolutely should be. I, I haven't heard it discussed about whether any teams are actually doing this, but... Yeah, I would I would expect, for example, like Michigan State better be keeping Peyton Thorne in a bubble somewhere, just sitting on a treadmill, basically. Um, I would expect that NFL teams probably have emergency quarterbacks available, isolated from the rest of the world. Why would you not? It, especially with quarterback, right? Because it's it's you don't usually have more than two or three of them anyway. You only play one at a time, but they're so important. Like it's Josh just, McCown is probably back to teaching high school at this point, but I'd be willing to bet that he's following all the coronavirus protocols. Oh, yeah, he's keeping up with his cardio, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> he's ready at a moment's notice. So Mertz is out. Cone is apparently not going to play. And it sounds like Wolf is up in the air as well. If this game happens and now Wisconsin is playing their fourth-string quarterback, it kind of changes the complexion of what we expect the outcome to be because I've not heard of any positive tests for Nebraska, which – Talk about a paradox, by the way. I mean, the one, yeah. if you were to assume that there was going to be a program that, would, you know, in their first game, Frost isn't wearing a mask. It His general vibe has been one of derision and dismissiveness of the whole thing. It's a little surprising, is it not? Like, I don't want to say suspiciously slow because that's not fair. That goes out on a limb that I don't have any evidence for. But it just feels like if there was going to be an outbreak, wasn't that going to be your first guess? Yeah. Yeah, so... I, yeah, I think that changes things if Wisconsin, if this game goes and Wisconsin has their fourth quarterback, because their running back, their running attack was good against Illinois, but they also had enough of a pass threat that you had to sit back a little bit. And, well, I guess that's really, that's really the point I was going to make. I thought I had a second half to that point. I guess I didn't. If you are in Nebraska's situation and you see uh, Schmitty Vandenboom or whatever his name is come out at quarterback for Wisconsin, are you not just zero blitzing all day? I I would. Again, that's like make the guy prove that he can withstand, first of all, that he can diagnose what your pressure is and then that he can make the correct throw with the correct timing and not get jumped by your guys playing press. I go all out with my pressure. I'm probably going to be, what, like a two or three score dog in this game. Although, again, the quarterback situation changes that, I'm sure. Oh, I've, the line I've seen is three and a half. So that seems to account for the... I, that, to me, is Vegas saying, oh, yeah, Wisconsin's on their fourth quarterback. Yeah. That, to me, says that Chase Wolf is not playing either. So that being said, I think you understand that on a down-to-down basis, Wisconsin's defense is still miles better than yours. You're going to struggle to consistently score on them, even with a better what looks like to be a better offense this year. Their running game is still going to give you a lot of problems. So they have a glaring weakness. Would it be unreasonable to attack it with every ounce of intensity that you can? Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely what you do. I don't know. There's this... I knew we were going to end up analyzing a game through the lens of COVID at some point. You know, I'm simultaneously surprised it took us until week two and 
disappointed that it happened this early. I really It feels really gross. I really thought that, yeah, that we wouldn't have to do this until later in the season. I don't like it. I didn't even shower. No. I saw Florida's getting ready to play again, even though they had like another eight positives this week. So we could be doing it that way. We could be <laughs> imagine imagine yeah. if we had to analyze it from that perspective of oh yeah, we had ten guys test positive, we're still playing. <laughs> like, yeah. What the actual hell. Um it could be worse, I guess is what I'm saying. And again, the 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 prevailing winds seem to suggest that this game is probably not going to happen, so might end up being much to do about nothing. Let's move on to something happier. Our Indiana Hoosiers taking on a much elevated Rutgers Knights team. Indian Rutgers. No, that's not going to become a thing. Uh, please say it's not. Although the slap fighting between the two team blogs may have a little bit more, a little bit more weight and heft to it now that there's some respectability on both squads' parts. I guess. Well, what I'm saying is this: the premier rivalry for Rutgers is still Illinutgers, and probably always will be. <laughs> but that's. But to say that this season is to say that I do not think that Rutgers beating Michigan State on a 7-3 turnover margin is the same as Indiana beating Penn State the way no. they did. No, not even I do once. not think it's the same thing. No, I, I would expect Indiana to win. I would expect them to win pretty handily. I, I cannot envision Indiana, first of all, yielding as many as three turnovers, let alone seven and let's be perfectly clear about that Rutgers-Michigan State game. Rutgers needed six of those turnovers to win that game. The last one was an interception as Michigan State was making kind of a desperate comeback bid. Six of those turnovers were with the game still very much up in the air. And with a, I, I, if you can make the case that if any one of them did not happen, that game might have turned out differently. So Rutgers is clearly an improved squad, and... I don't want to suggest that those turnovers were total flukes because the two fumbles by Jaden Reed were both cases of him getting stopped up and then the help coming in and raking the ball out. Like, that's absolutely coachable. Now, the recovery rate is probably not coachable or sustainable, but they, and again, this, your own defense does this. Yeah, you so. sure? Ask <laughs> Illinois fans. Well, well, that are not me. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure. And I think the math and the results are going to bear that out. There's one so. thing that I really liked in the Wisconsin game when they kept, in the Illinois-Wisconsin game, they kept pointing out that, uh, yes, but Illinois, you know, only had this small time of possession and still won against Wisconsin last year. As though this was some sort of skill that Illinois had developed. <laughs> the art of turning small times of possession and just reversing it into an advantage. Just, no, they won because... They hung around. They didn't allow. Tur- they didn't allow that many touchdowns, and they got just enough turnovers. They won the turnover battle. <laughs> You're just That's out what there. happened. You're just out there, basically playing football jujitsu and using your opponent's time of possession against. Yeah, exactly. Them. <laughs> it's like it's like oh, Wisconsin has 30 minutes of time of possession in the third quarter. You've activated my trap card. <laughs> no, that's not that's ridiculous to talk about it that way. Speaking of ridiculous, it's time... Okay, so in this week's schedule, there is one game that can reverse all the bizarro world energy of 2020, that can bring everything back to rotating on its proper axis. Northwestern at Iowa. Brother, who scores 17 and who scores 10? No, if the world has its old polarity left, this is a 16-15 to 15 Iowa win. 
Iowa then loses to Michigan State. Michigan State then loses to Northwestern. And the, the timeline is restored. All the Infinity Stones are back in their appropriate places in the timeline. And the, the multiverse is not fractured into multiple possibilities. Everything is cool. The triumvirate of stupid games. It's still possible. I believe I just need Pat Fitzgerald and Kirk Ferentz to do something I want them to I do. I just feel yeah. 17 to 10 coming on so much. It would be nice in these uncertain times to have some kind of touchstone to fall back on. I don't really know what to expect because me neither. Iowa, <laughs> Iowa showed that Iowa, I guess, was what was it? Old new Kirk, new old Kirk? Is this the new old Kirk? Uh, <laughs> um, old Kirk DX. Old new old new old new Kirk. New old new. I, I don't know. I don't know. But whatever it was, <laughs> it still it still put limit, it, it still put a ceiling on what Iowa was capable of doing. Yeah. Uh, and on the other hand, you have Northwestern. I mean, they played Maryland, who I don't think is as good as Iowa. I'm just throwing that out there. No, fair assumption. Fair assumption. Um, but Pat Fitzgerald wants to play Iowa's game on Iowa's terms. That's the thing. Well, not exactly, because. But Jackie and, and this Boston College imported offense is run heavy, but as we discussed when previewing them, they do move sometimes. They can go up-tempo. They don't always actually snap the ball that fast, but they run some little huddle stuff with these run-heavy well, concepts. I guess we'll see to what extent that was Mick McCall and what, to what extent it's Pat Fitzgerald. Probably a lot of McCall. No, I'm, ta- I'm talking about now. Yeah. Right, so not McCall. Well, yeah, so what I'm talking about is that's how it's been in the Northwestern Iowa games. We'll see just how much of the of the Northwestern just trying to be Iowa against Iowa was from the head coach or from the offensive coordinator. Well, uh, look, obviously the head coach always has input on that, and this is why for the latter half of D'Antonio's tenure, calling for him to fire the offensive coordinator is fine, and I, I gather that that would have gotten people some satisfaction, but he's still the one who's going to say, no, I want to run between the tackles even if it doesn't work. No, I want to move super slow. I don't know. There are some head coaches that will say, I don't give a shit with me again, and they, they coach in Illinois. Sure. You know, I, it's a philosophical difference that can it really depends on whether the coach is good overall. I don't think the decision to interfere or not interfere with the other side of the ball is determinative. I think it depends on whether you're good at it. I think what we're trying to say here is I don't want good, I don't want bad, I want normal. Give me 17 to 10, um, let's go Iowa because it's at home. Just let me see that. Yeah. Alright, so let's move on then to what would have been the game of the year in the conference had our Indiana Hoosiers not put the, not not stuck in it to them, not taking the wind right out of Penn State's lungs. All credit to Indiana here, but Penn State appears to be following last year's Wisconsin tradition of stepping on a Lego the week before you play Ohio State. <laughs> <laughs> Ohio it's, State yeah. has to be disgusted because somebody find me a real challenger. <laughs> Is this trash the best you can do? Yeah, so here's the thing, though. Despite the loss last week, Penn State is still objectively the best-equipped challenger to Ohio State in the conference. 
as you say, the problem is they, you know, stepped in a bear trap on the way to the arena, and they're presumably still kind of smarting from that. Well, uh, James Franklin makes some decisions in games that, especially in close games, that, that are that are pretty bad, and do he doesn't really control the situation that well. That being said, he wins eleven games most years. So I feel like he's going to struggle to get to eleven this time. You could just a feeling. Yeah. <laughs> but if you're a Penn State fan, then you can have that. Or if you really want, you can have somebody that does the same thing in a game but also doesn't recruit. You trade me a coach. You can take Lovey Smith. <laughs> I don't, look, I, I don't think anyone's at that point. I think, I think most Penn State fans are still perfectly happy with James Franklin. Um, but those are the limitations. Sure. Which is, no coach is perfect, no coach is invincible. Thanks, Aiden. Not all the time, but... No, I mean, special teams. He's <laughs> still got a vulnerability there, too. Uh, all right, so the problem here for Penn State is they're now down to a one-man running game with Devin Ford. Although, again, as we mentioned in the review, Sean Clifford has shown himself to be a little bit bigger part of the run game than I would have assumed, considering he runs like he's got a walker in front of him, kind of, sometimes. Um they need the rest of these weapons to show something. It can't just be Fryermuth and Clifford on the ground. Ohio State has weapons to match up with them in man coverage. Yeah, very easily. I mean, I think they probably... Who would they have? Probably Seven Banks would cover the tight end most of the time, I guess. One of the safeties, I would think. They're big enough and fast enough. Um, they certainly have the corners to lock up Penn State's outside weapons. I don't think you're going to see a 60-yard touchdown on Jahan Dotson in this game. Maybe you will. Again, he's certainly got the athleticism, but I don't know how Penn State consistently stops an Ohio State offense. Look, last week, Shaka Tony had a huge and unspoken of game because they lost, but he was a terror as a pass rusher. Broke up the run game. Yeah. I mean, he really, really did a lot to contribute to Indiana, only having those 150 or so yards through the first... Right, and it's totally fair to say that minutes. absent Micah Parsons, the Penn State defense last week really did about as well as you could have expected, given that there were multiple turnovers that put them in bad spots. But uh, I, it's, it just feels like they're a little bit shorthanded here. Not to say they don't have talent, that they're not going to make some plays and maybe make this interesting, but they were already going to be looking up at Ohio State. <coughs> Excuse me. They're all going to be looking up at Ohio State a little bit. And without Micah Parsons, I just think they're one piece short of being able to match them blow for blow when the Buckeyes have the ball. Hey, while we're being gross about COVID, um, Penn State, fair to say, eliminated from national title contention? Yeah. So at what point do you start seeing players opt out? Boy, that's an interesting question. Isn't because it? <laughs> I just thought of that because, I, remember, we're all doing this for Ohio State. We're all doing this to support Ohio State's claim to a 2020 national championship. That's why we're playing. That's why we're going through all this rigmarole with Minnesota, with the, you know, with the whole special teams, you know, set out of Wisconsin with their quarterback crisis. That's why we're doing all this shit. It's all for you, Ohio State. But Penn State's... Penn State thought that it was a little bit for them, too, and maybe it could have been, but they've already lost a game. So to answer your question, I think if Penn State loses this game, 
he, he, guys will consider it. Why would they not? Yeah. What is what is there to gain after an 0-2 start with six games plus this goofy one-off left? Which, by the way, if they lose this game, they're probably now the three seed in the East at best. What's to be gained from playing the rest of this schedule if you're Pat Fryermuth or uh, Jason Owe or whoever else, if you're Shaka Tony? Um, I don't know what there is to be gained. And so it'll be... Something to keep an eye on in the case of Penn State if they lose this game. I think guys on most other teams, like for example, if you're Rashad Bateman, do you opt out after if they lose another game in the next couple weeks? I don't think so, but that's another factor here that, to be honest, I haven't heard anyone discuss because it requires either a personal insight into the mind of a given player or just rampant speculation. I, I don't think we're going to know Because who's time. to stop them from doing that? No, nothing. Yeah. Nothing at all. Just the fact that I don't know what changes because, again, unless you play for Ohio State or maybe Penn State, you go into this year knowing that you're not going to the playoff. There, I think that the bowl games are ruled out, correct? I, I don't know. I mean, so, Army has accepted an invitation to a bowl game. Well, sure. Um, but there's, you know, it's a different season anyway. I think your motivations for staying, if you're draft eligible in a likely selection, are already going to be highly personal. So it's definitely a possibility. It's not one I would thought about. We mentioned earlier, we don't know what the situation with Rondale Moore is. Maybe he changed his mind again already. Um it would be strange considering how late he opted back in. But you also can't blame anybody for being risk-averse in 2020. Not. Absolutely not, no. And anyone who... I don't see this kind of thing because, again, I'm I'm not on the Twitter machines. You're not in the internet cesspools where this sort of messaging takes place. No, yeah, and I'm not exactly hanging out on the team message boards much of the time anymore either. So... People who are voicing those kinds of opinions that, oh, this, this guy's not a team player, he quit on us, he quit on, he quit on me personally as a fan of this team who wants my team to be good, who wants the team to make number big again. Um, I have no use for that kind of perspective in my life. So I'm sure there are people who will say that kind of thing. Who cares? They're every bit the losers that that sort of perspective would reveal them to be. If anybody opts out, for any reason in this season, I can't blame them in the slightest. Is it more likely for a Penn State player to opt out for the rest of the season if they lose to Ohio State? Yes, absolutely. Because yeah, you might have to start emotionally preparing yourself for the fact that that might happen. There's nothing you can do about it. And if you're not an asshole, you probably can't really hold it against them because, again, who's going to blame somebody for being risk-averse with their assets in 2020. Now, I do think, however, it's unlikely for guys to opt out specifically to declare for the NFL. Although, actually, I saw today that one of our favorite non-Big Ten players, Kylan Hill, uh, is doing that. He's out, he's out for the season, not playing again. I bet that probably has more to do with Mike Leach than it has to do with COVID. That's just my opinion, <laughs> but we'll never know either way. My fantasy team traded him for a second-round pick. <laughs> sounds, like you came, sounds like you came out ahead on that one. Which, first of all, consider what a damn legend he is. In the span of two months, 
he compelled the state of Mississippi to change their racist battle standard flag, opted back in to play for a new coach, played a total of one game, and then said, no, you know what, actually, I'm out. (laughs) (laughs) So the Mississippi legislature changed their flag in, in some part to make sure he got back on the field and that no other players followed him off of it. And he gave him one game, and he's like, I have altered the deal. Pray they don't alter it any further. Uh, fucking legend. Well, I want to talk about one more thing. Um, who do you think is at this point in the driver's seat for the number one, for the one versus one game? It's got to be Ohio State, Wisconsin, right? I don't know if it's got to be Wisconsin. Yeah. It's a lot less certain than it was before, isn't it? And Wisconsin depends entirely on COVID. This and, think, and think about this. The teams who we presume to be the top contenders, Minnesota and Iowa, both lost in week one. So I was going to say Wisconsin, <laughs> but Northwestern's got an argument and Purdue's got an outside argument. argument. Purdue's got an argument? <sighs> yeah. Well, that's, again, this is yet another gross thing being brought to us by COVID, is that, yeah, the, almost certainly you'd consider in any normal year the leading contender in the West at this point is sure, Wisconsin. Sure. And we can argue, well, is Wisconsin still there? Should we consider one of these one-loss teams? Is it a dark horse like Purdue or Northwestern? Let's be real. You and I are not interested in that game in the slightest. You and I, my friend, are much more interested in the pairing for the 7v7 matchup. Because after this first week, who would be in pole position for that game? But your Illinois fighting Illini and my, and my Michigan State Spartans. Well, I think the West is at this point a little more settled than the East because... It's us and Maryland in the East. That's all yeah. there is to it. Yeah, it is. Now, now, it's possible that you know Rutgers could see a reversal of fortunes fall back down there. I, I don't know because they'd have to lose to Maryland at this point, and I just don't see things getting better for Maryland. It's possible that Michigan State will get its shit together and... They're not as bad as they played. Um, God, I hope not. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, if they're as bad as they played, they're about to set some records for the year. Well, what records though? I mean, turnovers maybe, but that... <laughs> well, anyway, um, so I, mean, I, I, I don't think there's any argument right now that Illinois is the worst team in the West. Um, at the very least, it certainly looked like the worst team in the West, and I think that we can all but put it in ink uh, after the Saturday, but. Well, a, sec- a second week of data points is going to be illustrative here. You're in a t- you're against a team that's much more in your weight class. We're going to learn more about Nebraska this week too. You know, if Nebraska loses this game to a fourth string Wisconsin quarterback, and Illinois looks better against Purdue, you could convince me that you've got a challenger for the seventh spot there. But what we agreed to, what we decided is that we're going to acquire press credentials to attend the seven v seven game. Uh, wherever it is, I assume they'll hold it at like some high school in Fort Wayne or something. They're probably not letting this anywhere near Indianapolis, or the gleaming citadel of the Midwest. And so we will be there and we will be dressed as Statler and Waldorf in the stands. I, honestly, this is a good way to get around having to wear the normal mask because we'll just wear like the full face mask Absolutely. of Statler and Waldorf. We will make this happen. And uh, it's going to be terrible. But one good yeah. thing to come out of 2020, the one good thing, and I, for one, lobby to keep it around for all times, is the 7v7 game. 
You don't even have to give me the rest of them. Just give me the 7v7 game. Yeah, I wonder if that, like, why wouldn't we play that from now on? I I think we should. I think we should continue playing it. It's it's not a, it's about as much as you can get of a, the equivalent of a, conf, of like a basketball conference tournament. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're going to go to that game and it's going to be terrible. The best. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's Off Tackle Empire!